Matthew 13. We'll be looking at a few uh, passages this morning. We're beginning a new uh, short mini-series on uh, fruitful living, fruitful living. And we'll be looking primarily for this series uh, at the parable of the sower, which is a very familiar uh, parable that Jesus uh, taught. And uh, parables are interesting ways of speaking to people. And um, it's interesting that Jesus uh, used parables, as we'll see, actually to separate true disciples from just dabblers. Um, The disciples at one point asked Jesus, why do you speak to the crowd in parables? And, um, And his response was, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. And uh, it it almost seems as if Jesus was purposely hiding truth from people. And in fact, he was hiding it from those who were really not interested in following him, but were just curious and somewhat spiritually newsy to see what was going on, but had no real interest in following uh, the king. And uh, it's kind of like how God spoke uh, through the prophet Isaiah, saying that I will speak to you uh, with with other tongues. And he was referring, obviously, to the exile, when God's people went into exile and they heard uh, the voice of Babylonian people speaking their tongue. And um, the same in the day of Pentecost, when the people spoke in tongues, it was not only a display of the power of the Spirit, but it also was a rebuke to those who simply weren't willing to follow Jesus, that God was speaking a new language to them through uh, the powerful means of the Holy Spirit. And so parables are often like that as well, that God purposely hides truth from people who are not really interested in following him, uh, but for those who are disciples, they will go the extra step and say, hey, what did you mean by what you were saying? And then Jesus takes time to explain things to them. And so uh, let's pray and uh, look at uh, these passages. Uh, Our Father, in Jesus' name, we come. We thank you today uh, for your grace. We thank you for your Spirit who uh, does make clear to us what you say in Scripture. Father, we're thankful for your Son, Jesus, who uh, is present as we meet in his name. And uh, he is the chief musician and the head of the choir, and uh, he promises to accompany his word when it is preached. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to hear what is said in Scripture. Help me to be sensitive and submitted to what the Spirit is actually saying in and by the Scripture, uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Please change us, please transform us. By Scripture we pray, by your Spirit we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, our sermon series is Fruitful Living. Um, Was that me who did that? It was? Okay, I'm sorry. It was unintended. I didn't wake up this morning and say, hey, I'm going to get him right after the prayer. Um, uh, Fruitful Living, uh, the first... Uh, we're going to look at the, um, the four different 
soils, the four different types of soil that the sower sowed in. And the first one this morning is the, the hard-hearted hearer. The hard-hearted hearer, a.k.a. the antagonist, I can't even read what I wrote, antagonistically uncommitted person. Um, next week, Lord willing, um, we'll have a special guest speaker. And so the following week, uh, we'll look at the second soil, uh, which would be the... Um, the half-hearted hearer, and the third soil is the double-hearted hearer, and then the last one is the pure-hearted hearer. Uh, let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. The great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where there they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And uh, in this first uh, giving of the parable of the sower, uh, we find um, we're going to be looking at the, the seed that was sown along the path. Uh, as you see in verse, uh, four, verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And if you look over at verse uh, 19, as Jesus explains uh, the parable, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Uh, The word of the kingdom is the word of of Jesus' reign, that the king has come and he reigns. If you turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse uh, one, actually one through seventeen, you have this proclamation of the coming of the King from John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, "The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight." And so, the voice of the kingdom is the the word of the kingdom is a word. Uh, that, that says to us that the king is coming and let the king do what he wants with your life. Don't interfere, don't oppose, don't uh, put an, an, an impediment in his pathway. It says that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Be prepared for his way and for his ways. Make his path straight. Don't interfere, don't oppose the king. You know, in the ancient Near East, when kings came to town, they would 
completely level out the road. There were pockets in the road, they would fill them up, and there were high places, they would knock them down so that nothing impeded the king's path. It's sort of like when the president comes to town, they make sure all of the, uh, the manholes are sealed and, and the, the street looks nice and they want a, a nice, clean path. It's the same with Jesus. How much more with Jesus? He's the king of the universe. And so it's saying to let him have his way with you. And um, it says that when people heard this word of the kingdom, they didn't understand it. And so the devil snatched that word away from them. So it's not only simply a word of saying that let Jesus have His way with you, but it's also a a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to to look at, at your sin. That's the word of the kingdom. It's a call to look at your sin in light of the King and be ready to confess that sin. Be ready to own that sin. That's what they were doing in the days of John the Baptist. People were coming to him from all over and they were claiming their sin. They were confessing their sin. We do a good job of confessing other people's sin. Um, But but they were confessing their own sin. They were owning their own faults and and rebellion when they came uh, to John for baptism. And not only that, is 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 it a cry for uh, for, for repentance, a call to let Jesus have His way, a call to repentance. It's a call to faith. It's a call to faith. At the end of this section in, John, in Matthew 3, as you know, a Jesus shows up to be baptized of all people. And uh, He shows up in, in the waters of baptism and the, the place where people came to repent of sin and confess sin. And here's someone who has no sin to confess, nothing to repent of, but He's there. He's there as the, as the, as the one who, who's numbered with the transgressors. He's there as the one who bears the load and the guilt of our sin. And, and we see in that picture, as we talked about this before, uh, that when you come to claim your sin, Jesus comes to claim your sin. Uh, when you come to claim your own sin, Jesus comes to claim your sin Himself. And so he's in those waters numbered among transgressors to say, baptize me, I'm coming as I look forward to the cross. And so the word of the kingdom is the word of the cross. It's the word of the gospel. It's the word that Jesus came to die for sinners and be buried, to be put down, and then be raised from the dead to give new life, to give a new heart, to give a new spirit inside of a person. It's the word of the gospel. Uh, but, but, to, but, to, but, to, but to hear the Word of the Kingdom, to hear the Word of the Gospel, is also to hear your neediness, how broken you are. Uh, it says in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, the Word of the Kingdom is for those who are poor in spirit, those who are broken those who are willing to admit their bankruptcy spiritually, that they're, they're needy spiritually. Um, it's not only that, but it's those who not only uh, admit their neediness spiritually, but in Matthew 5, verse uh, uh, 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the word of the kingdom is also a word of, of a willingness to give your life away for the king. It's a willingness to say that, that my life, like Paul said, has no value anymore as the world sees value. It's not precious to me as the world counts it to be precious. 
But, but, but one thing Paul was willing and wanting to do is that he would simply want God to have His way with him. Jesus said, uh, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for His sake and for the sake of the Gospel, you will have your life. So the word of the kingdom is the word of, of, of letting Jesus have His way with you. Uh, repenting of sin, believing the Gospel, the Word of the cross, admitting your bankruptcy at that cross and saying, here's my life, Lord. Take it and do whatever You want with it. It's no longer mine. It's Yours. It's a willingness to, to embrace that kind of mindset and that kind of attitude. It's contrary to the attitude of Adam and Eve when they were confronted with the temptation from the serpent and the promise of not only immortality, but the promise of autonomy. That you can be like God. You can make up your own rules. You can, you can be sovereign. But it's really because Jesus' words are sovereign. We should seek to understand them and obey them from our heart of hearts. There's a need for this kind of brokenness, this sort of kingdom focus in order to actually grasp what Jesus is saying in His message. Not only that, because Jesus' words are sovereign, let us under, seek to understand them and obey them from our hearts. And number two, because Jesus' words are successful, let us seek to study them and keep them in our hearts. If you turn over to uh, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, uh, the parables, this particular parable of the sower is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Remember that Jesus often repeats himself to display the importance of what he's saying. At one point, he said to his disciples, if you if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any parable. Um, and so this parable of the sower is kind of the key to all of the other parables being understood properly. In, in Mark chapter 4, we deal with the same parable in verses 3 and 4 and 15. It says in verse 3, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And in verse 15, it is stated, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Satan immediately comes. He wastes no time. He immediately is on them to take that word from them. You know, Jesus is the sower. He is the sower. He's the one who sows the seed. And, and the seed is the Word of God. And um, oftentimes people view preachers uh, as sowers of, of the Word. Under-sowers. That's not even a word, but, but I think you understand the point. You have under-shepherds, and of course there's one good shepherd, and then you have under-sowers. And then you have collective sowers. All of you. Whenever you share the Word with anybody, you're sowing a particular seed. Um, the seed of God's Word. But, but Satan knows, um, he understands uh, the power of, of Jesus' Word. 
Uh, he's not in some kind of illusion. Satan knows how powerful uh, God's Word is. You know, when God spoke in the beginning, Genesis 1, he simply started, he didn't even break a sweat to put all of this universe here. He just started talking because his Word is that powerful and things just started appearing out of nowhere because God's Word is simply that powerful. Um, create is a word, bara, it means create out of nothing. When, when David had sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah, he said, create in me a clean heart. And, and, and you get the sense of what he's saying when you look back at creation. There was nothing there to work with. And God spoke. And when David says, create in me a clean heart, he's saying to God, he's admitting, there's nothing in me to work with. You've got to speak something into existence. Something that's not there. And so, um, in the Scripture, only God creates. I know when you sit at your computer, you want to create a file. And uh, create uh, whatever. But uh, you can't create. Sorry to break it to you. Create means there's nothing there. And something appears out of nowhere. <laughs> anyway. Our language is all messed up. I'm going to create a file. No, you're not. You're going to use the program that's already in your computer. I'm good. No, you're not. All right, let's not get into that. <laughs> but God's word is powerful. If you listen to these words, you can turn it if you like. But in, in, in Psalm 33, um, it says uh, in verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by, his breath, the, by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Verse 9, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Um, and uh, this is very important for us. If you look at Isaiah 55, it's a, a chapter that uh, Devin read in your hearing uh, as he was leading worship. Um, in Isaiah 55, it talks about the power of God's Word. And in that chapter, it calls us to listen, to bend our ear, and it's all free. It's free of charge uh, to sit and read a Bible, um, especially in America. Um, but in verse, in verse 10 of Isaiah 55, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from, earth, from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is an amazing passage. It talks about how God's word always succeeds. Wherever it is, wherever it's heard, it always is going to be successful. Always. Uh, but it's got to be received. Um, it's always going to accomplish its purpose uh, in, in, in for which God has said it. And so, so, the, so the picture, the point here is, 
is because Jesus' words are successful, let us study and keep them in our hearts. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, the word of God is powerful. And uh, Jesus told Martha and Mary that there's one thing that's necessary in all of your busyness and all of your uh, anxiety. There's only one thing that's necessary. It's to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to Him. Because the Word of God will make you wise. This world was created by God. You were created by God. You were created by God to navigate in this world. But you need the wisdom of God to know how to navigate in a way that is pleasing to God and glorifying to God. You cannot navigate successfully in this world apart from the wisdom of God. And so when Jesus says one thing is necessary to sit at His feet and listen to His Word so that every single morning when you go out into this world, you won't add to the confusion and the chaos already there. But you'll be able to navigate successfully and wisely and winsomely in the beginning, when it says that God created the world, it says the world was without form and void and dark. This world is dark. It's empty with respect to spiritual things. It is formless. And it needs the Word of God to bring form. It needs the Word of God to fill it up with things that are very good. It needs the Word of God to spread light where there's darkness. The church is the only light on the planet. You may not believe that about yourself, but Jesus says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. When you're in a dark room and there's no windows and there's no light anywhere, and there's a bunch of people there and nobody can see anybody, but if you shine a light on yourself, everybody can see you. They may not be able to even see themselves, but they can see you. And God made you a light in a dark place. And, um, but you and I need that Word to guide us, to give us wisdom, so we know how to navigate in a way that glorifies God, in a way that, that commends God and the Gospel to other people, in a way that, that, makes, that makes people rise up, like uh, Ronnie had prayed in his prayer, makes people rise up and say, wait a minute, what's going on there? I've got to see something. There's something there to see that I've never seen before. Um, and so the Word of God is powerful. It's potent. Uh, in, in Isaiah 55, it talks about how it is always successful. And it says it brings about joy and peace. And, and what's, what's going on with the mountains and hills singing and the trees and the fields clapping their hands? He's talking about a new creation. A brand new creation that the whole world can get transformed by the Word of God. And, and the end result of it is for the glory of God. Satan knows that. He knows God's Word is powerful. That's the first thing he always attacks. In the garden, that was the first thing he attacked was the Word of God. Because he knew its potency. He knew its power. He knew that it could transform a life. He knew it could change a person. That's his one objective is to get you away from Scripture. To get you away from the Word of God. To get you to postpone time in Scripture time reading and meditating. Turn on the television. It's much easier. Get some novel or some fiction book. It's much easier to fill your mind with that. But to sit before the Word of God prayerfully and to study it and to ask God to open and unfold His Word to you and to break down the hard heart and 
give me the heart of flesh. It takes something that was not in us to do that. It takes a, a God moment. It takes a moment of humility, a moment of brokenness, a moment of admitting bankruptcy, like the first point. Admitting that I'm needy here, that I'm a sinner here, and I need a Savior. And He gives you His Word. His Word is successful in what it undertakes. Um, God's Word sanctifies us. It makes us brand new. Um, And the Word of God, as you know, the Word of God's primary subject is Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said that in Luke chapter 24. That the Word of God is about Him. And it doesn't say anything negative about the Father or about the Spirit, but it just says that Jesus is the means to the Father by the Spirit. There's no way to get to the Father. There's no way to know God as the Father apart from Jesus Christ. And so as we read Scripture, we look for Christ. We look for Jesus as He's unfolded in the pages of Scripture. We look to be confronted with a Savior, with a Lord, with a King who we'll willingly bow down to. Satan's objective is to immediately snatch the Word away from people. You know, if you look back at Genesis 3, you find Satan's um, uh, very predictable way of doing things. He speaks to Eve. He doesn't speak to Adam. And, you know, Adam and Eve are married. The head and the body. Satan always appeals to your appetite. He tries to get away, get to ignore thoughts, ignore your mind. What about your appetite? What do you want? What's your passion? What's your lust? That's what he appeals to. Your physical, the physicality of things. That's how he gets to your mind. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. That's the first thing he did. Is he went after uh, the body. And then um, Satan not only does that, but second, he... He, he redirects your focus away from God's goodness and God's grace. You notice, and we talked about this before, we don't have to go into all of the details, but in, all, in that passage, um, please don't fail to see that in Genesis 2, verse 4, through all of Genesis 3, uh, God's name always appears, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Because the Lord shows us the mercy, the grace, the fullness of the Gospel. It shows us the very personality of God. But when Satan comes, he refuses to mention that name. He just says, God. God did something mean to you. He doesn't mention Lord and all of the wonder of His grace and mercy and goodness and generosity because by doing so, it's counterintuitive. Those are the very things that give you the foundation and motivation to love God. And so he seeks to ignore that and redirect you from that. And in so doing, he, he, gives, you, uh, he gives the woman... Um, some kind of rational feeling that God is treating her mean. And uh, then he just goes right out and calls God a liar. And how do you know what truth is unless you've been spending time meditating in Scripture? People can tell you anything. I read in the Bible once. How do you know it's in the Bible unless you've read it yourself? Unless you've spent time to meditate. I don't need to uh, give the illustration that so many have before I was born about the Bible being... In, in some ways, a love letter from God. It's God's love letter to you. It's far more than that, of course. Uh, but, it, but it does have that sense of being a love letter. And if you're in love, and if you've ever been in love, some of you are still in love, and that's good, as long as it's with the right person, right? <laughs> um, but, but when you've been in love, and you get a letter from your sweetie pie, or from your darling, 
you don't just look at it like a bill and say, okay, let me deal with this right now so I don't get, you know, hammered later on. No, it's not a bill. It's a love letter. You sit down, you take the phone off the hook. You put the do not disturb on your cell phone. You get yourself a cup of coffee or whatever you drink or tea. Maybe a, a beer, dare I say, but, <laughs> uh, but you get something. And you sit down and you meditate. You read it over and over again. You, you, you picture it. You imagine it. You feel it. And uh, that's what the Scripture is meant to be. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. John the Baptist had joy because he heard uh, the Master's words. Satan's whole objective, we must understand, is to keep you, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, is to keep you from having a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. He does not want you to have a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. He does not want you to love Jesus. His objective is your sin, your death, your demise. That's his, that's his agenda. He's a murderer. He's a liar. The, Jesus said he's the father of lies. That's his mother tongue. That's his lingua franca. That's the word he speaks, is lies, deception. That's his only objective is to kill you. And if you are a believer and he can't have you, his objective is to paralyze you so that you'll be ineffective in the things of the Lord. He knows he can't get you, so he'll fill your life with all kinds of things so that you cannot be effective in the things of God. And so the way he does that, the Bible says, is he blinds the mind. He blinds the mind from beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He does it by keeping you away from the cross, keeping you away from the gospel, keeping you away from Jesus and His blood and His righteousness and His death and His sacrifice for sin. Because Satan knows that that is the foundation, the motivation of all of life. Our life of love for God, our life of love for one another, our life of love for the lost, it all flows from the cross. And he wants to keep you away from the cross. And the Bible is a book about the cross. But you know, you look at this particular um, seed that was sown, and you may complain and say, well, it's kind of unfair. The sat Satan came, he knows some stuff that we don't know, and he came and snatched it away before we could get the point, and we never got to understand it, and it's the word of the kingdom, but we don't understand it. It was snatched away too quickly. But then we have to ask the, first, the last question is why, in fact, was it snatched away? Why, in fact, was the word snatched away? And if you turn over to the Gospel according to Luke, we see there in chapter 8 the reason behind the snatching of the word away. In Luke chapter 8, verse 5 and verse 12. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path. Here it is. And was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. It was trampled underfoot. Um, in verse 12 of the same chapter, um, it says, if that's for me, tell him I'm busy. 
uh, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so the reason why the word is snatched away, the reason why the word is devoured, is because the word is trampled underfoot. It's not valued. Our third point is because Jesus' words are sacred, let us seek to value and trust them with all of our heart. God's words are sacred. They're, they're, they're important. They're solemn. Satan's aim is your death and sin. He wants you to be opposed to Jesus. That's his opposition. Not devotion for Christ, but opposition for Christ. You notice what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44. John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I say? Why don't you understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. He says that's where understanding, misunderstanding or not understanding comes from, is, is you can't bear to hear them. And then he goes on and says something very potent. And it'll hit you right between the eyes if you're not prepared for it. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a murderer. That's how Jesus pegs him. A lying murderer. Because he doesn't love. He doesn't love. You know, the litmus test for true belief is that someone loves. How do you know when someone's following uh, Jesus? How do you know when you're following Jesus? Is because there's an increasing desire to love God and to love people in spite of the weaknesses and the wickedness and the unworthiness of, that they might have. There's a desire to love because you've been loved. You've been loved so wonderfully by Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to the Pharisees of His day, to the leaders of the church of His day, that you don't understand the Scripture. You don't understand His words because you can't bear to hear what He has to say. And one of the things that Jesus had to say was this call and command to love. To love the enemy. That's why Jonah had such an issue going to Nineveh and preaching the Gospel. Because he knew God's Word was powerful, just like the devil interestingly enough. He knew God's Word could change people's lives. But these are the people who oppressed us, Lord. How dare You tell me and go speak and preach to them? They're my enemies. They're the people I hate. I'm not going there. I'm going to Tarshish. God said, let's go fishing. And He sent a big mouth bass. I don't know what kind of fish it was, but it must have been a big mouth bass and swallowed Jonah up. And you know, it says something very interesting and profound in chapter 2 of Jonah. It says, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he prayed. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Go figure. You know, if you were in the belly of a fish, wouldn't you pray? Even if you're an atheist, you would say, oh God, if you're really there, I need to get out of here. And, and the fish spitted him out, and I, I could imagine how he looked with seaweed wrapped around his head came to Nineveh and preached. And it was the Holy Spirit that changed people's heart. It wasn't his appearance. Because they were like, look, buddy, just stay away from us. We'll do anything. You know? <laughs> but 
No, the Lord worked powerfully. The Lord worked powerfully through His Word. And then when, when, when God saved the people, you'd think Jonah says, they're one of us now, they're saved. Jonah got mad. <laughs> it's crazy. And he's a prophet. That's why you need to pray for your pastors and leaders. Because we don't have ourselves together. Don't let the suit fool you, folks. Yeah, listen to the baby, yeah. But the point is that God's Word is sacred. We should value His Word. We should seek to understand it. We should seek to hear His Word. Sometimes we're just too busy. We've got something else to do. Too busy to sit down before God's Word and pray and, and, and to ask God for a word from heaven. Too busy. We neglect it. We don't prioritize it. Because God's words are sacred, we should value them and trust them with our whole heart. The whole point of, of Jesus saying that His word is not understood because people can't bear to hear it is because they're wrapped up with their own appetite, their own desires. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter uh, 3. He said that people, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18 and following, he says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Brothers, join in me in imitating, in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their appetites are what is their God. Their desires is what they bow down to. It's what I want. That's what I run after. That's what I pursue. And that's why these people are enemies of the cross. That's why they can't bear to hear the Word of the Lord. They're not interested in loving the Lord. They're not interested in being confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. And for the people of that day and for the people of our day, Jesus said it again in John 6. He said that you have to eat My flesh and drink My blood and he's saying that this is not literal. These words speak of the Gospel. They speak of the cross. They speak of our own brokenness and bankruptcy and our own hard-heartedness and how we need to be committed to Christ. And the only way is to own our sin, to own our iniquity, to own our rebellion and bring it to the cross and confess it there and let God's Word find success in our hearts as we sit and soak in Scripture. You know, um, sometimes you eat so much candy that real food doesn't taste right anymore. Listening to so many other voices that the real thing doesn't sound right anymore. We need to soak in Scripture. We need to savor it. You know, if you've ever been on a farm and you look at the cows eat, they eat, and then they swallow, then they eat again without eating anything new because they're chewing their cud. They're chewing it over. They're chewing it over. That's what Jesus wants us to do with respect to His Word. He wants us to soak in it, to be soaking wet in Scripture. Um, and He wants us to be desperate for Scripture. You know, I've given the illustration before that if someone was holding your head in, in a pool of water, holding you down underwater, and you were squirming, and you were trying to catch your breath, and they wouldn't let you up, and all of a sudden they let you go, and the way you breathe oxygen at that point 
is the way God wants you to be, desperately seeking His Word. The Bible says all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's God exhaling. We're called to inhale what God exhales. We're called to soak in Scripture, to soak in His Word and to savor His Word because it's the Word of the cross, because it is the Word of the King who came to this world to to stand with sinners and stand with transgressors and stand with rebels and broken, bankrupt people like us and to own our sin and to claim our sin. It's His Word. It's not simply the Word of a Lord who says, do it or I'm going to stomp on you like a roach. It's a God who came and was stripped naked and beat like a pulp and hung on a tree and He did it for you. He did it for me. He owned our sin. He claimed it on the cross. That's what we remember. That's what we celebrate. That's what we think about. That's what drives us. That's what Paul said. It's the love of Christ that controls us because we're convinced that one died for all. Therefore, all have died. And He died for all so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for the One who died and was raised again on our behalf. Because Jesus' word is sovereign, seek to understand it and obey it. Because Jesus' word is successful, study it. Study it. And because Jesus' word is salvific, is what the word I wanted to put there, but the word there is fine. The word that you have. We should seek our, our, our Savior's words uh, to change our hearts and... Um, and to value them and to trust them in every way. Let's, let's pray to God. Our Father, in Christ's name, uh, we come and we give thanks to You for Your grace and for Your goodness. We thank You for uh, Your Word. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are the sower and You desire, uh, as the sower, to sow Your Word in our hearts. And, and Lord Jesus, we, we recognize that You're not only the sower, but you are the seed of the woman. And you're the one who came from heaven to earth in order to die so that there might be other seeds like you. Uh, the seed of Abraham, the seed of you, O Christ. Never married, never had a physical family, but yet you see your offspring even though your life was cut off because of your word inside of us and the spirit giving life to us. Father, help us uh, to soak in your word and to be transformed by it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.